Welcome to Patriots of the Core. I'm Thad Forrester. This podcast exists because of my little brother, Mark Forrester. He was angered by the attacks on 9-11, so he joined the military to help rid the world of terrorists. On September 29, 2010, he was killed on his first deployment. From his death notification to the dignified transfer ceremony, his viewing, funeral, and subsequent memorials, I was amazed at the new world of warriors we met. These patriots have become close to our family and been huge supports. They stood out because of their willingness to voluntarily fight evil. They believed in freedom. Because of their actions, I started this podcast to interview great Americans who serve their country and communities. Thank you for tuning in. Nick, it's good to have you back. I'd like to start with the basics again. And I know you've probably shared this many, many times, but I, I still think there's a lot of people that don't understand. And and I like I didn't understand this until kind of recently. Will you explain the difference between human trafficking, between prostitution, between human smuggling? I think I think those three there. And maybe there's another one that you may know of too. Sure. Well, thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. And this is going to be a, a a good conversation, you know, informative, hopefully a little bit fun and not too much of a downer when we're talking about <laughs> these types of uh, these types of activities. Um, so when we when we look at human trafficking, unfortunately, the term has become a little bit politicized uh, and it's it's gotten conflated with a bunch of other issues. But there are really three different things uh, when we talk about human trafficking. There's human smuggling, which you mentioned, and that is where somebody is making a choice to come from usually an impoverished area to go to a rich area, and they are asking somebody to get them there through an illegal means. That is human smuggling. Now, those people who say come across our southern border and exist outside of the system are they're more vulnerable to being trafficked, but the, the human smuggling is not human trafficking. And you have prostitution, which is where usually a woman, uh, but it also, I, I think, involves some men too, who for whatever reason are making a choice to sell commercial sex services and then they get paid for their labor. Now, those people, ex again, exist outside of the legal system and so therefore are vulnerable to trafficking and 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 so can become trafficking victims, but if they are willing prostitute, they are not a human trafficking victim. And then you have the other side, which is just human trafficking. So all human trafficking at the end of the day, for the most part, comes down to either organ trafficking or forced labor, uh, or or usually it's it's one of those two. And forced labor in wealthy countries tends to be commercial sex in nature. Uh, so your human trafficking in you know the South China Sea, a lot of it is happening on fishing vessels. That's predominantly men being trafficked. In say India and other countries in uh, in Southeast Asia, you're going to have a lot of child labor trafficking, making rugs, making bricks, making furniture in Malaysia, something along those lines. And then in the United States. Your predominant form of human trafficking is commercial sex in nature, which is where you have uh, somebody who is being defrauded, forced, or coerced, and usually it always eventually terminates into force, and they're being forced to perform a service, in this case, commercial sex, against their will and for the economic benefit of somebody else. 
And so when we talk about human trafficking, it's an important distinction is who is getting the economic benefit of somebody else's labor. Okay. That's that's the way that I think about human trafficking academically when I'm trying to figure out what is human trafficking and what is not. That is a great, great explanation, great difference, differentiation between those three. So thank you. Uh, in 2019, you were on episode uh, 68, I believe. Yeah. And um, you said even then you, you were growing rapidly. I believe you even lived in a different mm -hmm. state at that time. Uh, are you still growing rapidly or have, has it leveled off some now as a, as a company, as Deliver Fund? So the company is still growing rapidly, but not in the way that people think, right? Usually when you think of a company growing rapidly, you're thinking in terms of revenue and headcount and things like that. When we think about for-profit companies in the nonprofit world, we measure growth by impact. So how much impact are we having? Are we... And then the if you think in terms of economics and math, right, how much money is each, for lack of a better term, unit of impact costing us? And so our unit economics per unit of impact are going down and our ability to have an impact on the fight is scaling up considerably, especially with this new app that we just launched. So yes, as a company, we are, we are growing considerably. And uh, I, it, one of the things that is kind of a point of pride for me is that I have such an amazing team that I'm becoming increasingly irrelevant <laughs> to this company. Half the time, I don't even know what's going on. I'll see something post on social media, like, oh, that's so amazing. Who did that? Oh, wait a minute. We did that. Uh, so you're a good leader. <laughs> it's 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 really fun to to watch the company reach reach this phase. Uh, we are by no means out of the wood. We still uh, we still need people to jump in and and help us out. We need people to you know donate their their resources. Uh, we need people to share our stuff on social media. All of those things still remain to be they're still true. Uh, however, our ability to scale impact and and be a force multiplier in the fight against human trafficking is is really hitting that hockey stick moment. Good work. I've been following you for several years. I mean, at least since 2019 on social, for sure on LinkedIn. I think that's where I, I see you the most. I don't know if that's where you're the most active. Would you say it is, Nick? Is, is LinkedIn the, or are you just everywhere? So full, yeah, kind of full disclosure here. I hate social media and I'm not good at it. And so for years I've had a team that just did that for me and kind of made me look like I knew what I was doing. I've just recently started taking a lot of that over and doing more things myself, uh, just, just so I could free up some bandwidth for my team. Uh, so I, I, I am most active on all of them. Uh, so if anybody's following me, that is to say that I'm, uh, I'm very much still learning how to use these platforms <laughs> <laughs> myself. Yeah. Well, so am I, I'll have links to everything too. So the the main reason we're here today, I want to give you plenty of time to talk about it and to educate me and everybody listening, because uh, today's uh, September 1st. So as we record this, it's a big day for Deliver Fund. Will you go ahead and talk about how, whatever you want, you know, with the software and what it is and mm -hmm. uh, what people can expect and all that, how we can get it, all that kind of thing. So today, uh, Deliver Fund publicly launched an app. It's available on the Apple Store right now. It will be av available on the Google Play Store for Android devices here soon. And what it does is that app allows every person in America, 
were specifically focused on parents and 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 pre- predominantly single girls, single women. Uh, it allows them to run phone numbers and email addresses with of the people in their network and the people they're communicating with and the people who are watching and interacting with their children. It allows them to run those phone numbers against our potential human trafficking database. So we have the largest deduplicated, largest, cleanest database of potential human trafficking activity in existence. And traditionally, we have only made that data available to law enforcement. Uh, and, and this is the thing that our the, the generosity of our donors have been allowing us to build for the last really five years. So we made that data available to law enforcement, but we'd always get people hitting us up saying, hey, how can I participate? What is it that I can do? I'm already donating $50 a month to Deliver Fund, you know, to, to help you guys, but what is it that I can do on a daily basis? What is it that I can do to actually help detect human trafficking? So about three years ago, we started working on a backend technology that would allow us to distribute the or I should say really would allow us to enhance everybody's ability to fight human trafficking. So not just law enforcement anymore, industry partners, banks, hotels, motels, soccer moms, jujitsu coaches, everybody. And, and the reason that we did that is I want you to think of a forest and I want you to imagine there's a really bright spotlight outside the forest. That's law enforcement looking for human traffickers. And when you shine that light inside the forest, you you illuminate a lot of places, but the trees in the forest create a lot of shadows. And those shadows are places for human traffickers and child predators to hide. So what we've done with this app is give everybody in the forest a flashlight. So now everybody can start looking for those child predators. And if they find one by just running a, a, a phone number or an email address, then they can actually click a report button and they can tag that data for future use by deliver fund analysts and law enforcement. That's what we just launched. And that's just step one on a a longer roadmap of capabilities that we're going to be putting into the hands of the public so that everybody can participate in the, in, 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 it's not just fighting human trafficking, it's fighting societal predators so if you have, say, uh, I don't know, your your child is playing Roblox and they're chatting with somebody on Roblox and that person passes them a phone number, says, hey, you know, they try to off platform them so that they can get them off of those platforms and, and start start manipulating them independently. Say, hey, hit me up on Signal or WhatsApp or, you know, pick your pick your platform at this phone number. And you run that phone number through our app and it comes back as a positive hit with a connection to a commercial sex advertisement, you know that you as a parent have a problem. That's the power of the app that we just released yeah. to the public. Yeah. Did did this require a lot of work with the with lawyers to make sure this there was no no issues? Or was this was it pretty a simple cut and dry as hey, once we get all the a big enough database, we're putting it out there. 
it, it it's a combination of both. Uh, it's not there's not a lot of uh, legal issues there. Um, so all of the data within our within our database that we're making available to the public, and we have two different databases. We have one that's law enforcement only uh, because it's active investigations, and then we have this this other database that we're making available to the public. But the one that you can access through the app does not have any information that we input into it. The information that's in that in that app is publicly available on the website right now. You could, it might take you a little bit, but you could actually search that out just using Google as your primary search tool. All we have done is make it extremely easy and simple for mm -hmm. you to find that the signal that you're looking for. And that's the problem is, is while you could find you know, there's a, a email address in our system, um, and it's plasticmom at gmail.com. And anybody who downloads and subscribes to the app can, you know, run that run that email, and you will see what a positive hit looks like. So, plasticmom at gmail.com. If somebody in your network has that email, you might think, oh, that's that's kind of funny, that's a little weird, but you wouldn't really think of that as a threat. And then you plug it into our app and you see that it's actually, it's correlated with over 123 commercial sex advertisements on the internet across multiple websites. Well, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, that's the kind of activity that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think those people are are going to be using our app. So that then gives you a really good indicator that you have a problem that requires further investigation. So the email addresses and phone numbers that are in our uh, in our database, we're not saying that the person who has that email address or that phone number is a human trafficker. All we're saying is that that phone number email address is posted on a commercial sex advertisement on the internet. That is a true statement of fact. So you might be the really unlucky person who got issued a phone number from your your cell carrier two years ago that was recycled from somebody who was associated with commercial sex yeah. advertisement 10 years ago. The chances of that are, are small, but you, you might have be that unlucky, in which case you need to go change that phone number because that, and that might sound a little extreme, but that phone number is associated with commercial sex advertisement online. That is a true statement of fact. And so- what we have done by by allowing the individual citizen, the mom, the dad, right, the soccer coach, to be able to screen their own networks is leverage the power of the crowd. So now it's not just Deliver Fund fighting human trafficking in association with law enforcement or other groups, some of them rogue vigilante, some of them doing great work, working with local law enforcement. Now we're we're saying, okay, every single person in the United States of America who has a smartphone can participate in the fight against human trafficking. Wow. That is a force multiplier. Yes. That is solving problems at scale. That's what I meant when I said that the company is growing exponent exponentially not in terms of revenue and not in terms of you know headcount and the things that you would traditionally uh, measure with for-profit company, but in terms of impact. Yeah. So the things that we are doing are the most impactful solutions to fighting human trafficking in existence. What does a parent do 
take for instance, they, they that happens on Roblox. What would you suggest a parent does if they find a number that pops up in the database? The first thing that the parent would do is click the report button, which again, that tags that data for future use by deliver fund analysts and by law enforcement. Uh, and then that will bring up a link that says uh, that they can then go to a landing page where we actually will lay out the different things that they can do. We'll have different videos there that show um, how they should think about the problem. Uh, they should obviously cease all communications with that phone number, email address until mm -hmm. they can investigate further and 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 determine that it's safe. Uh, and then also uh, we've got training that we'll be releasing here in about, a, I think, a month and a half where they can actually take some online training to get certified in knowing how knowing what human trafficking even is and, and how to detect that. And so at, we're, we're trying to move away from this concept of, of parental control because parents have been trying to control their children for millennia and it's never worked. And especially in this world where you have mm -hmm. technology that is changing so fast that there's no possible way that um, parents can keep up because they have full-time jobs. So we're moving away from uh, parental control and, and the parental control things that are out there are very, very important and parents should use them. You know, um, platforms like Bark and and things like that are 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 absolutely phenomenal, but they're just one piece of the solution. And we're moving towards what some friends of mine, uh, this 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 guy Joshua, termed uh, parental intelligence. And the goal here is to actually reduce the parental workload. Now, every single parent that is listening to this, when I said parental workload, was like, oh, thank you. Uh, because the parental yeah. workload is extreme. You've got to cook dinner and change diapers and get kids ready for school and also do your own job and get the car taken care of and do maintenance on your house and do laundry and clean. Oh, and by the way, you're also supposed to be a technology expert while yeah. all your child does is focus just on knowing how to run this technology. That, that That's an unreasonable expectation for parents. And so part of the thing that this app does and that the training does and what we are really trying to service uh, the parents is to help them understand what it is they need to pay attention to and what they don't. Well, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And by the way, while we've been talking, I downloaded the Deliver Fund app. I've already, I've done, um, I know there's three options. You can do monthly, quarterly, or annually. And I'm just trying to remember my password now to Apple. So I'll have to do that when we're done, but it's awesome. It's there. This, awesome. this is really great technology, Nick. And I've thought about this kind well, of thing you. a lot, really concerned as a parent. I have three children. My boys are, are they're 10, eight and five and they have iPads and we've mm -hmm. always tried to monitor them. And then not only it was only recently, like in June, did I learn about the family sharing deal and created right. their own accounts. And I've been able to control that, but there's still some things that, that they see that, um, that concern me. And I, I want them to always feel comfortable telling us. And that's what we've tried to create right. in our home is to always tell us, don't be ashamed and let us know if you see something and what to do if you do see something. But the thing is too, is these games and they don't, they don't have any games yet that I'm aware of that they communicate with people, but I know they've wanted Roblox for, a year or two and I, and we haven't done it. And then I think my mom has tried to get me to give it to them. And I'm just, I'm just not ready to do that. What are some things, uh, Nick, you've got the app, which tremendously helps, but as a parent, what, what do you do to help protect your children? 
So the first thing that you do is be a good parent. I get asked this question all the time. And with the work that we do at Deliver Fund, we have a unique perspective and a unique view into this world. So, and, and that means that we you know, work with victims of trafficking. We work with law enforcement officers, obviously on cases by the hundreds. Uh, we work on the technology side. So we have a very unique view because to my knowledge, you don't have any other entity on the planet that simultaneously gets educated by victims of trafficking, which is really important to get their perspective and gets educated by law enforcement very important to get their perspective and builds technology and is in the technology stack on a daily basis. And what we see through all of that, the common thread is that trafficking victims are usually coming from a set of circumstances where they're trying to fill, call it the God-sized hole in their heart, the dad-sized hole in their heart, the mom-sized hole in their heart, right? They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to solve for something. They're trying to solve a problem. And what we find is that when we have especially young girls who don't have a positive male role model in their house, it leads to all kinds of problems. And I think the data on that is very clear. So the the number one thing I harp on the most is dads be good dads, moms be good moms, in whatever form that means to you as a parent. And there's incredible resources and you know websites like parents.com and another website called focus on the family and things like that 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 will help you as a parent because it's probably harder to be a parent in this day and age than at any other because you have an entire actually the largest part of the world which is internet-based communications i mean it's what you and i are using right now it's what you're using to get this word out uh you have that this this massive problem that parents aren't equipped, especially in our generation, because we didn't, we weren't raised with this. So we don't have, well, this is what my dad did in regards to technology. I mean, in my day, it was, well, you didn't get the grades you were supposed to get. So you can't play Duck Hunt on Nintendo, right? Or you can't play Super Mario Brothers on Nintendo. I mean, yeah. that was the extent of it. And it wasn't like I couldn't communicate with anybody else through those, those, those gaming consoles. So it, it's a real problem. Um, and so just being a good parent and the things that you've already said, it's just making sure that your, your children feel safe and comfortable coming to you. Parents, it's extremely important. And I cannot overemphasize this point. It is extremely important for you to make sure that your children know that if they come to you with something that somebody convinced them to do on the internet, or they come to you with something that somebody else did on the internet, that they are not in trouble for that. But you're a safe place that it, even if the, even if they participated and created a problem, they sent a photo they shouldn't have sent or something, or they sent an address, they sent a phone number, they sent a whatever, that you understand that they're going to make mistakes and you're going to help them solve that problem. You're not going to ground them and get upset with them and do all these disciplinary actions, which are then just going to make them not want to report those things to you. So that's the number one thing. Um, the second thing is to get educated. And that is such a difficult problem because how do you get educated about this one specific thing? And that's why we're releasing the training that we're releasing at, at deliverfund.org. So we'll have these res resources for parents, have resources for 
you know, young single women uh, will have resources for, you know, paramedics, firefighters, frontline nurses, you know, everybody who's kind of in the system who can come into contact with a vulnerable child, teachers. And, and then once you get educated, then it's just a matter of, of staying up on things. So when you look at the problems with technology and the advances in technology, they happen so fast. As an example, you just mentioned that you just found out about the family sharing side of what Apple does. We are releasing updates uh, uh, to parents, and that's why it's important to go to, to deliverfund.org and sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social media. We're releasing we're releasing updates so that parents will know, hey, this feature was just released by Apple. Here is how you use it to your advantage uh, as a parent to reduce your parental workload and keeping your your children safe. Excellent. You know, one thing that that I turned me to you several years ago, I don't remember how we, we met, but I do know finding out that you were an Air Force PJ. Mm -hmm. And so, so I'm very familiar with him, you know, because of my brother and the way I, I view this, and I know you've talked about this before, Nick, but I would kind of like to get your perspective here is, uh, is th these guys like my brother, like you, I mean, you excelled in an elite field. You don't like bullies. And is that something, is that how you always have been? But regardless, that's kind of what you're doing now. Is that not right? That's exactly what we're doing now. And and you're right. I, I've worked in the special operations community my entire really professional life before I, before I started doing this type of work and, and, and really kind of getting into tech business. But when I was in the government, it was all special ops. And even at the CIA, like the CIA doesn't have special ops. It has special activities, so to speak, and it has intelligence operations, but it does have groups of specialized people who, who do work that is, uh, we'll just say eerily similar to what we did in special ops and in facilitating intelligence operations. And so my entire life has been in those types of communities. And what I learned most is that a, a lot of those folks in those communities, a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of um, a lot of things that they really should be dealing with, but instead they were special operators. Uh, and Andy Stump and I have talked about this uh, at length on his podcasts about you know how we how we deal with those problems. But there was a lot of trauma. And what I can say is that with very few exceptions, there's not a single man I served with who was a bully and who was a bully growing up. But every single one of them, as soon as they saw a bully, it, it like flips a switch in their brain and they, they, they take the attitude of, well, I'll be your Huckleberry come bully me. So, so it, I don't think it's so much of the bully piece as it is people who are, who are vulnerable being exploited by people who are stronger than them. And, you know, if you look at pretty much every single special operations creed has something to do with protecting the people who cannot protect themselves. Right. And so it could be, you know, pararescue these things we do that others may live. It could be the, you know, the green berets, an incredible program, you know, they de-oppresso liber, so liberate the oppressed. Um, you know, I think the seals have something similar. Uh, it's, it's all about being the stronger person of which if, if you're in air force special ops or really any, any special operations career field, you have proven as a, as a matter of fact, 
that you are one of the stronger people and it's being one of the stronger people and using that strength to protect people that don't have the same strength advantage. And usually that means that you're protecting them against somebody who does have a strength advantage and is using it to exploit that person. And what I realized in my role at the CIA was the power of technology to really be a force multiplier. And that started in the Air Force. Because if you think about it, Air Force Pararescue and Combat Control, uh, at least in my day, those were the only special operations career field. Now I think there's lots of them, but but you know, I I've been out of it longer than I was in it. So I'll just speak to what I know at the time. We were one, you know, one person, two people, right? Two combat controllers getting embedded with an ODA, one combat controller getting embedded with a SEAL team, you know, two PJs and a combat controller getting embedded with, you know, pick a special ops unit. Um, we we were there to be a force multiplier because you know, look at look at your brother's a great example. What is a greater force multiplier than a combat controller? with a stack of aircraft sitting just off the horizon who can come in and you know solve problems by killing people by the hundreds and there's no greater force yeah. multiplier in the battlefield yeah. than a combat controller when it comes to personnel recovery there is no greater uh there's no greater force multiplier than an air force pararescueman especially if that air force pararescueman has a combat controller sitting next to them right now the two of them can actually accomplish more than entire armies. And so that's that's really that force multiplication mindset is is where I came from because that's what that's what the Air Force does. But then take that one step further into the CIA where I really got to see the power of technology. I got to be part of a uh, experimental unit. Or I'm sorry, uh, I got to be my unit ran an experiment in in coordination with another another directorate, and it was essentially trying to see how fast uh, a self-contained team could move. So we did we ripped our own phones, we did our own technology. I, I literally became a Palantir certified analyst. We we did all of these things, and it's why it, it's why actually I have this T-shirt on that says, you know, from shooters to computers, uh, because what I started to realize was that the keyboard was the ultimate scalable weapon in the fight against terrorism. Well, it's the same thing in the fight against human trafficking. And so, yes, we're fighting bullies, but not by punching him in the nose anymore with a JDAM uh, now or, you know, or a javelin missile or what or a rifle, whatever it is now. It's by enhancing law enforcement's ability to fight them because really it's only law enforcement that can do that. When you see former special operators going, you know, rogue doing human trafficking operations, that that's a that's a problem. Because not only is that not scalable, but there's lots of problems in court with the actual prosecution of those human traffickers and the prosecution of those cases where if all you're doing is providing the intelligence and you're doing the heavy lifting and quite frankly, kind of the boring part that nobody really wants to do, you can really enhance the fight and you can do it mm -hmm. at scale. Well, now, no matter what, I mean, you give me a billion dollars tomorrow, tomorrow and next year, I'm just going to need a billion dollars. So 
those models are not real scalable, but if we put technology into the hands of people, we can really accomplish a lot. No different than that combat controller or PJ with a bunch of technology, a bunch of radios, a bunch of ATAC platforms that they're using to, to control aircraft and they're using to move things around the battlefield to go help people. It's no different. One person uses technology and they are a complete force multiplier and, and uh, on the battlefield, it's no different than every citizen in America using technology to be a force multiplier on the battlefield of America and make it so that it's nearly impossible for societal predators to hide. That's interesting. That's a, that's a really unique perspective. One thing I think about with combat controllers and PJs is how it's how you don't deploy, you know, you don't, you don't stay with your own teams. You're always attaching. And you mentioned this a little earlier. And so you're having to integrate with, with different people, you know, and different personalities and, and, and prove yourself. Is there, is there any kind of application there, Nick, too, on that side oh, yeah. of it for what you're doing now? <laughs> oh Yeah. So the the thing about Air Force pararescue and and combat control and and Air Force special operations in general, uh, again, I think there's there's more career fields now. Is the it doesn't matter how strong you are, how fast you are, how good of a shooter you are, how good at your job you are. When you show up to work for an ODA or work with an ODA for the first time, you're the Air Force guy. You show up to a SEAL mm -hmm. team, you're the Chair Force guy. You show up to a, a, a Marine special operations unit, you're the Air Force guy. And so everybody's very much kind of weary of the Air Force guy. Because let's face it, the Air Force does not exactly have a, uh, a reputation for physical prowess. Uh, and, and that's okay. Right? I mean, I'm not the guy that they asked to make those decisions. Um, but as uh, within the Air Force special operations community, when you show up to those units and you're the Air Force guy, it means you have to work harder. Have to. It's not an option. You have to work harder than everybody else in order to prove yourself. So you're you're kind of the perpetual new guy. And then right about the time the team really likes you and they're trusting you and they're you're you're just really melding with that team and everybody rotates out. And then because Air Force Special Ops is a, is an extremely limited asset, you know, they're going into a training and rest cycle and you're going straight to another deployment cycle. And you show up, you were just with an ODA and now with, you're with a SEAL team. And guess what? You're the Air Force guy. So you're starting over all over again. And that, that mentality of kind of never really getting to just rest on the thing that you've done in the past yeah. and always being the new guy really forces you to stay on top of your game. And it forces you to pivot and continually get better. So in building Deliver Fund, we've done the same thing. I mean, if you look at what Deliver Fund was in 2013, in 2012, really, when I first conceptualized, you know, going after the the human trafficking problem to 2013, early 2013 in January, when my co-founder, Sean Fenema, and I uh, decided that we were actually going to do this to what we do today, the amount of pivots and shifts have been uh, have been pretty considerable. And it's not because we didn't know what we were doing back then. I mean, when we first started this, I mean, we had Homeland Security officers asking us to do surveillance on massage parlors, and we were doing it all, but they were only asking us to do that because we were the easy button. They didn't really need us to do that. What they really needed were target packages on human traffickers. 
They really needed us to go find that victim that ran away from the restoration home in Nebraska uh, uh, and was part of one of their cases in Iowa. I mean, that that was the work that they really needed done. And so as we started doing that, then it was like, okay, well, we now have to prove ourselves. So again, continual new guy mentality, we had to prove ourselves to law enforcement. And in the process of doing that, we learned what they really needed and started building, actually started working with outside vendors and were, and essentially just buying technology and then realized that a lot of the people running those companies had never actually done the work that we had done, which is think of that as our secret sauce and kind of our unfair advantage. And so we would go to them and say, hey, we need you to change your software to do this. And they wouldn't understand it, so they wouldn't do it. So then we started about five years ago building out our own data sets and building out our own technology. And now we've got full-time engineers that that's what they do. So that continual, that, 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 mentality and mindset of continual improvement that I really learned in the Air Force and carried into the Central Intelligence Agency is now what informs the way that we go forward at Deliver Fund. Yeah. Do you have many former spec ops guys that work for Deliver Fund or consult with oh, you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, Jason Bourne is not real. Most special operators could not do any level of data analysis. Um, now, obviously, I'm, I'm speaking very broadly here. There are special operators with relevant levels of education who, uh, and, you know, they're kind of the guys who were always known as the nerds. You know, I'm one of those uh, on their team who who can, but most most special operations folks don't understand analysis. It's actually it's actually the special operations support personnel. It's the human intelligence collectors uh, and all source intelligence analysts and the targeters. Those are the ones who we tend to actually primarily bring in. Uh, and I knew that from the beginning uh, that we would need kind of that operational mindset. But for the most part, if you look at the operational piece of what special operators do in the field, for the most part, and again, there's exceptions to this rule, uh, but for the most part, they are the ones who are executing on the intelligence work that somebody else did. And that intelligence work is usually not done by an operator, right? Or an operative. It's done by an analyst. And so the cycle tends to be Right, somebody collects the information. It goes to analysts. Analysts compile that, figure out what action needs to be done. The action then goes to the action arm, and they then execute that action. Well, the action arm in this case is law enforcement, and so we have uh, former, uh, you know, special operations intelligence personnel who work with us. We have former law enforcement detectives who work for us, uh, and then uh, we really the predominance of our focus is on the engineering and data side, because you can have the best analysis platform in the world. It doesn't matter if you can't get the right set of data into it and you can't get that data in considerable in, in the volume needed. And that's the problem that we had with previous platforms that we worked with was they would pull in six to 8,000 data points in, in over a 24 hour period. We're, we're pulling in about four to 6,000 data points a minute. So about 230. 40,000 times more data. So instead of combing through millions of points of interest, looking for bright spots on the map, which leads to kind of a, a, a less detailed map as a way to think about it, we have over 3 billion points of interest. 
Uh, so we we can we can see which much with, with much finer granularity where the problem really is, and then how to go after that. And then the AI that currently is a backbone within the system that does essentially some fuzzy matching to help, uh, you know, to to help you essentially answer the questions that you should have asked. That is just going to get better and better and better till eventually it mm-hmm. becomes a full on human trafficking signal detector. Will you explain the difference then and what what Deliver Fund does versus some of these other organizations? I, uh, I know you've got uh, shooters to computers. That's an awesome shirt. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about the shirt. Um, yeah. But really, what what is the difference? Because, uh, you know, some, some of these organizations, they actually go out and run the operations. Some of them train law enforcement to do it. And I mean, what is Deliver mm-hmm. Fund? What do you do specifically? I think the best way to say it is we are a force multiplier and enhancement for anybody who wants to fight human trafficking. So I know as much about kicking doors as anybody on the planet, right? I got 30 combat deployments under my belt. Um, I did, you know, more than some, less than a lot of people, a lot of special operators out there. I mean, even conventional military did way more, did way more than I did, but, um, but I've got that under, under my belt Uh, for about 17 years of my life. I was, I was gone about, eight to 10 months a year, every single year. And that goes all the way back to the 90s, right? So pre-September 11th, uh, when PJs and combat controllers were were actually the most deployed special operations career fields. I mean, we were, we were kind of in all of the Middle East stuff back then. And, and so that that's a, a basically a long way of saying that the reason that we don't go, you know, kick doors and run operations and things like that is because it's not scalable. Every single time you have to put a person on an airplane to go do something, and usually sometimes it's former special ops guys, and sometimes it's just rich guys who, quite frankly, never really did anything of courage in their life and decided that, you know what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go play cop for a day. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not a good use of resources, uh, and I'll, I'll die on that hill. If you want to go run operations, join law enforcement. They really, really need the help. Um, go get it. Go to the law enforcement academy. Get a badge. Get a gun, and go do that work. Um, a- another reason that we don't do that work is I'm not an expert in law enforcement rules of engagement on a target, right? So I could potentially hurt a law enforcement officer's case if I'm actually there with them, and they don't need me to be there with them. They're the experts at actually executing on the arrest on executing on the evidence collection and things that need to be done, not some former special ops guys. And so where we focus is on the thing that nobody is focused on, which is bringing the data to law enforcement to do that work. Um, and, and we, we, we don't do that exclusively through deliver fund, the plenty of organizations that we work with other nonprofits where we, uh, they essentially when we came out with Deliver Fund, we were we were one of two organizations that were fighting human trafficking. We were the only one that had people with special operations and and you know CIA operations background. Now there's, I, I mean, I, I think there's a new one that pops up every couple of days. I think there's a lot of guys who get out and are like, look at what I did, and go, oh, I'm gonna go do what Nick did. And I'm like, if you only understood how hard this was, um, and so they they create their own organizations. That's awesome. There's no possible way we can be experts in their backyard the way that they're experts in their backyard and we can maintain the relationships that they maintain. It still doesn't solve the data problem. And so if if you have a nonprofit that is doing targeting 
for law enforcement, awesome. We have a targeting and data analysis platform that connects that that's already connected. We're already working with over 600 law enforcement agencies across the United States. Um, we've already got the data that you need in order to go do that work. Give us a call. We'll bring you in as an affiliate and we'll help you uh, understand how you can be the most effective in your community. And I think that's really the lesson. It's and that's actually the difference between what I learned in the military and what I learned at the CIA, right? In the military, it was like, we were the force multiplier. At the CIA, it was a little more nuanced. You're trying to get the tribal chief to be the force multiplier. You're trying to get the uh, the individuals in the local community to be the force multiplier to essentially secure their community so that you can then go get that done in the next one and the next one and the next one. Mm -hmm. So for us, you know, at Deliver Fund, we've really always taken this team of teams approach where anybody who wants to do what we do to help their own uh, community and work with law enforcement, we will assist them and we will help them do that. I can't simultaneously be running embedded operations in Tennessee and California and Montana and Florida and Texas. I don't have, I don't have the bodies and manpower to do that. But if somebody's in Tennessee and they have the relevant background and they're taking the right approach and they're, 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 you know, doing things properly from a paperwork perspective, we absolutely will jump behind them and, and help them, help them be able to be effective in their own community. And I think that's really the, just to kind of bring it back to the force multiplier um, approach and the, op and the operational enhancement approach is just because I have all these combat deployments and I know how to do that work, if I have to get on an airplane, it takes me a day to get there, and then I'm going to go, you know, do whatever work, one very specific operation, and then be done with that operation, let's say it takes two or three days, and then fly back home, there's another day, there's an entire week, accomplished one operation. Or I can simultaneously enhance the ability of over 600 law enforcement departments to do operations again simultaneously. So so if let's just say just 10% of those law enforcement departments that we're already working with are doing operations. Well there's 60 operations going on. And nobody had to get on an airplane to go do anything. Mm -hmm. That's how you fight the problem at scale. We are not going to shoplift our way out of this problem, right? We're not going to arrest our way out of this problem. We have to enhance everybody's ability to fight this problem from industry. So social media, hotels, motels, payments, banking, insurance, uh, the, the gig economy around, you know, Ubers and Lyfts and, and, and taxis, all of that. We enhance all of their ability to fight human trafficking through implementation of proper data and technology. Every single parent's ability to fight human trafficking and protect their child through the proper implementation of data and technology. And then properly implement data and technology to law enforcement to help them fight human trafficking. And we do that all simultaneously without anybody ever getting on an airplane and going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Nick, I 100% support and uh, believe in what you're doing. Uh, you've got a captive well, audience you. right now. What What do you want to say? You know, to kind of wrap it all up. the The first thing is, uh, please go to the uh, go to the app store. I'm sure there will be a link in the show notes and uh, and download our uh, download our app. Subscribe. Yeah, you've already got um, about yes. forty something ratings, by the way, as of 
Oh, we do? Yeah. Yeah, oh, so you've, cool. you've had a lot of downloads today, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we, we've already been getting text messages from people that we know who, who have our contact information saying, hey, uh, I just ran the massage parlor across from my kid's school and uh, it came up positive. I mean, you, you got a you got a you got a building across the kid from across the the street from your child's school that's offering commercial sex services. You you might want to notify law enforcement that that they need to do something about that and create yeah. a public outcry. Yeah. Um, so go download the app. Um, yes, we are a nonprofit. Uh, we charge a dollar ninety nine a month uh, for access to the app. Uh, the reason that we are able to make that available so cheap so that anybody who can afford a smartphone can afford, I think it's, I think if you buy a year up front, it's like 18 bucks. Mm -hmm. The yeah. reason why we're able to do that is because of the generosity of our donors. And so if you have financial bandwidth and that does not have to mean $5,000 a month, if you can do $5,000 a month, we have donors who do, and that that's great. Um, but really it's the $50 a month down to $5 a month donors who really help us keep the lights on. So if you, uh, if, if you find value in it, what you've just listened to, please contribute financially, help us take these technologies to the next level, help us advance down that roadmap so that you're now not just able to screen phone numbers and email addresses. You're able to do even more to protect your own children, right? There's something in it for you. Uh, sharing our stuff on social media is obviously extremely important. And then kind of back to what you said in the beginning about what parents can do, be a good parent. That is the number one thing you can do to protect your child from all forms of exploitation, not just human trafficking, is be a good parent. Great advice, yeah. Do you want to close with a, the Till Til Vahala comment? Oh, <laughs> you obviously have been following my social media. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I, the, the special operations community is a community that I care deeply about. Um, I've got a lot of dead friends um, who, who gave their lives, uh, not just for this country, but, but also for that community. And I also uh, am alive today because of some of the actions of those folks and and because of that community and the during the war this con the 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 concept of valhalla started you know kind of coming up and it was it was you know an old old viking old norse religion uh very very pagan and demonic actually and uh you know I'm a I'm a strong Christian and I've got reasons that I believe that. And if anybody wants to argue that on a math and science basis, like hit me up and let's do it publicly. Um, there's a reason I believe in that stuff. But what I what I try to focus on is the not only the the mental and physical health of these operators when they get out, but also also the spiritual health. It's an important piece. And and so this whole concept of like, you're going to go to a place where you're just going to dine with your brothers, like that, that's not what I want my life to mean, where if you look at wh whether or not you believe in Christianity, if you look at the concept of heaven, which is a, like, you are going to go to a place for eternity where you will not have pain. You will not be just dining with your brothers while I, while that is a, that is a part of it. And so, yeah, I made that Instagram post to just say, Hey, you know, special operations guys, like cut this freaking Valhalla crap, right? One, 
understand what you're even talking about. Most guys will just, you know, raise a glass and say it. And like, God forbid, they actually read an actual history book about, about the issues um, because that's not what they want to be pinning their identity to pin your identity to one of service, pin your identity to one of a eternal meaning. And um, if, if that's, you know, if that's not the, you know, the God of the Bible and that's not heaven, like, okay. But the concept of heaven, which is we want our lives to have eternal meaning. And as warriors, we want our lives to have eternal meaning. Like that's what we should be focused on. And that's why in starting Deliver Fund, you know, I've had people kind of come and go through the doors of Deliver Fund and, and, you know, some of them because they moved on to bigger and better things. And some people, because as special operators, they just couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that they were not a shooter anymore. It's like, you gave that up. The new weapon is the keyboard. And they just were not willing to, to put in the work required and the education required to be effective with that weapon. So, so, so then, then you lose an identity. And so it was just, it was just a way of, uh, that social media post, uh, was just a way for me to, you know, kind of poke people and say, Hey, like, what are you actually saying? One, do you even realize what it is you're saying when you say Valhalla, right? Till Valhalla. And two, um, aim for something better. Like stop, stop aiming so low, aim for something better and, and be better. And now that you're out, go, go do big, big things with your life and aim for a, 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 aim, aim for a eternal consequence, right? You aim for an eternal way of being relevant to every generation after you. And that's what I'm hoping to do with Deliver Fund. You are, I think you are. That's great, Nick, man. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, you are an absolute patriot to the core and uh, appreciate you being back on patriot to the core. Uh, anything else? No, thank you for having me. And thank you for helping us get the word out. Uh, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Man, my pleasure. That wraps up another edition of Patriot to the Core. I hope you enjoyed this one with Nate McKinley as much as I did. I ask that you subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, leave a review on Spotify and or Apple podcast. They make it very easy to give five stars and also to write a review. Also consider supporting what Nick and his nonprofit do at Deliver Fund. And one last thing, if you normally listen to my podcast on Stitcher, you probably already know this, but Stitcher no longer offers podcasts as of August 29th. The good news is you've found another, another player, obviously, to listen, so there are many options. Thank you for listening and for all the support. Now enjoy this outro music from the A-Team. Unless you're watching on YouTube, then you won't hear it because I'll get in trouble for copyright issues again. <laughs>